1: Hello, and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. I have had the honor of taking care of kids for almost 30 years. And specifically, I am what's called a BCMH provider, which means that I provide pediatric medical care for children with chronic issues, illnesses, diseases, and it definitely affects their childhood. And I had the opportunity to hear about the amazing work that Dr. Lund is doing. Let me introduce her because she's our guest for today. Dr. Lund is a licensed clinical psychologist, and she has been for 17 years. She focuses on peak performance, and she's even a peak performance coach. She's a best-selling author and a TEDx speaker. Her specialized training in medical psychology includes the world-renowned Shriners Hospital for Children, which is amazing, Boston, Massachusetts General Hospital, and Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, all of which are affiliated with the Harvard Medical School. She uses a strength-based approach to help her clients improve their confidence in school, sports, and life while helping them to become more resilient and reach their full potential at all levels. Outside of work, Kate enjoys spending time with her husband and twin boys, exploring the outdoors of the Pacific Northwest, and these days can often be found on the golf course. Thank you, Dr. Lund, for joining me today in this very important topic. Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: I greatly appreciate it.
1: I read your story, and I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners, your history and kind of how it shaped and brought you to where you are today. Sure, absolutely. Uh,
0: so, you know, my my story really goes back uh, to when I was four, I think, and when I was diagnosed with uh, a condition called hydrocephalus, which is where the cerebral spinal fluid isn't circulating as it should. And pressure builds up on the brain and and makes one very, very sick. Um, It came on very suddenly for me. And, you know, so at that moment, um, it took a long time to diagnose, but at that moment, um, you know, my ordinary was taken sort of out of my childhood. So um, those early years were sort of focused on lots of time in the hospital. Uh, Hydrocephalus is managed with something called a shunt which essentially uh, requires surgery to implant or insert or put in. Um, But the problem, particularly with kids, is that shunts break. Um, You know, they have to be revised, fixed at various intervals. And for me, that happened quite a bit in my early childhood. So, you know, looking different, feeling different, in and out of school, needing to catch up, needing to reconnect with peers. And I think for me... um, just looking and feeling different part was, were the most significant, Um, you know, because kids who might not understand what's happening in terms of, you know, why I was looking different or why I wasn't able to do the things that they were able to do, you know, really made me kind of set me apart. And the fortunate thing is I had a lot of support from my family Friends, I had a lot of good friends in those, in those years that, that really helped me to focus on what I could do as opposed to what I couldn't do. And that's really the, the crux of what helped me move forward through those hard times and build to the point where I am today.
1: Wow. I really appreciate you sharing that story. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of patients that I take care of and and their stories as well. And how not only do you have to go through this once or twice, but every time you're in a situation, you have to re-explain. And that can be hard for a child to meet a new person, for example, and Kind of have to tell their story over and over again. And they really just want to be like everybody else and be treated like everybody else. And I, I see this and it creates a significant amount of anxiety. And, um, and it really, you know, breaks my heart when I hear them talking. So I love the work that you're doing and how you're helping not just the child, but even parents understand how to navigate that. Right. Absolutely.
0: And, you know, it's, it's really a question of, I mean, there's so much to navigate in that. Right. And I, what, what you said about kind of, you know, having to re-explain and having to sort of, you know, do that time and time again, when something goes off course is so true. And, you know, for me, I grew up in, in a town, you know, all those years, people knew me. I was at the same school. They sort of understood fundamentally what was happening, but that there was always that need to kind of, well, in the hospital again, coming back, that sort of thing. But it, it wasn't that much of an explanation that was necessary. But when that piece got more complicated for me, it was when I went to college because mm. the, um, spring of my senior year in high school, I had a a significant medical setback related to all of this. And it was pretty intense. And it actually put me out of commission for a whole entire year. Mm -hmm. And I had to postpone college for a year. And then I went. But I remember arriving at college, you know, for my freshman year, thinking, all right, you know, I don't, I don't need to to talk about this. I don't need to mention it, you know. But that wasn't as easy as it sounded right because there were things that i was grappling with and there were things there were reasons i had to go back and get checkups and i had you know so it did eventually come out you know in small bits in a way that felt comfortable but the what, what you what you were saying about needing to explain to people really made me think about that and it's a real thing right and to find a way that's comfortable, and that feels okay, that also focuses on possibility and strengths within it all is so important and not always easy.
1: And I, I love that your course of action is how do we help these children find a new normal, if or even just find a way moving forward, if it's been something since birth, or not either way, because we know life can change like that, and I love that approach and that that you take because you know of course we want to be empathetic um, I try very hard you know to name emotions and and really try to understand, but then I, I want to help them move forward
0: exactly because that's the whole that's what's so important in it all is not to get stuck in the challenge you know not to get stuck in the well what's hard what i what can't i do even though those are really important things to acknowledge but then we want to move through and beyond those things in a way that makes sense for us right we want to help parents we want to help kids to appreciate their own unique context And see the strengths within that context that can be fostered and built upon.
1: That's really, really important. Yes, I think, I I think that is important really for any child if you think about it because I try to, in my practice, say, you know, you don't have to be in an organized sport to be active. Exactly. And, you know, you could do things that are just individual or family activities. And so I try to tell them there's so many other ways to be active and do things that are fun and you enjoy. Exactly. Right. That's such an
0: important point because it's not a one-size-fits-all ever, right? And so there's so many different ways that, you know, f- folks can find their passions, build on their strengths, move forward within their own context. I mean, you know, I, I have that right here in front of me. I have 15-year-old twin boys, um, best friends, but very different, right? Mm-hmm. And their contexts are just totally different and the f- their passions within those contexts and their their strengths are so very different and it's just really important for them to, each appreciate who they are and not compare themselves to their brother or their peers or what have you. And the same was true for me. And I was, I was very lucky in that, you know, there were a lot of things I couldn't do. But early on, um, you know, I figured out that I really liked tennis. And tennis was a safe sport, quote unquote, because non-contact and, you know, sort of individual in a way I could kind of play within my own context. And I really got pretty good, you know, I was never the best among the, the group of my peers, but a lot of my really good friends came from those years and I'm still really good friends with those folks. And it really helped me to foster my identity as, wow, I can do this thing, you know, and I had a great time with it. And it was, it was such an important part of my childhood. Um, And really, I think highlights this idea of finding something And it doesn't have to be a sport, you know, but finding something that there's an interest in, there's a passion in that
1: you can build upon, you know, regardless of what your context is. I'm thinking of a story. And of course, you're absolutely right. It doesn't have to be a sport. Everybody's passion is so differently. And I agree. Like when I think about my own boys, now they're four years apart, but one is very analytical, a numbers kid. The other one is a little bit, he he loves the science. And so it's funny how one kind of took after my husband who's in finance and the other one is in, has a, a healthcare position. So I always joke that uh, with other parents, when they say, gosh, they're so different. And I said, it would be so boring if they were the same, right? Right. Absolutely. And that's, that's what, yeah, that's what keeps things kind
0: of interesting and moving forward. And exactly. I think, yeah, if my boys were carbon copies of each other, yeah, that, that would, that would be, <laughs> that would be strange in a way,
1: I think. So, yeah, no, I totally agree. I was thinking too, of a patient and I love the idea that you don't, you know, that there's things you can't do. And so, and that's, that goes in line with things we cannot change, right? There's right, some things exactly. we just can't change. Yep. So we have to find things outside of that. So I'm honestly thinking of, I had a patient who developed a seizure disorder in middle school, yeah. um, pretty significant to the point, And he played football. Oh. And he really was sad because he, he, because of his condition, was not allowed to play football. Oh, yeah. Because it was a contact sport. Well, mm-hmm. he ended up working really hard and became the kicker. Awesome. And yes. And, um, the, the neurologist said, that's fine. You could be the kicker, you know, <laughs> and, um, because for the most part, you're protected. And thankfully he never had any problems, but he became a kicker and he did it through high school and then even, um, was a kicker in college, which is pretty cool. That is very, very cool. And that really, yeah, speaks to this idea of
0: pivoting you know, Mm -hmm. and kind of finding another angle, either on the same thing, which in this case, football, or something totally different. But I love that. And so he could have easily gotten, you know, mired in this idea of, oh, no, and I'm never going to play football again. And I can't, but but he didn't. He pivoted
1: and created something new. And I love that. Yes, that's a great story. I do want to ask, that I noticed too, as some of the kids that I care for, that maintaining relationships, friendships, mm. because, I, so I'm thinking of one in particular, and what had happened to them is at a younger age they had friends mm. that you know were supportive and of uh, the diagnosis, etc., and yet as the others matured and they really didn't at a level at the same rate, so to speak Mm. was finding friends were now moving on and weren't contacting them as often. And so just in, in general with relationships, whether you had experience with that or just in with patients and how you would help, um, a, a patient and family approach, that kind of almost neglect, you know, feeling neglect or left out. And again, I think pivoting and finding new friends sounds easy, but what methods or ideas do you give them to move forward in a situation like that?
0: Yeah. And it's, it's a really difficult question, right? It's a, it's a hard reality to be facing something like that. And I, I definitely, um, you know, probably experienced some of that kind of a thing myself particularly in that you know i became very um cautious very risk averse you know very you know i wasn't going to I'm, I'm still like that by the way it's it's just kind of who i am right maybe i was like that Me before too. i don't i don't know but um you know i wasn't going to put myself in positions where i felt kind of at risk or unsafe in any way right and so when my friends or some of my peers started doing things, you know, like driving really fast through town or going to huge parties at night where I just didn't feel comfortable, you know, I stayed home and I kind of did my own thing. And so, you know, for me, you know, I didn't always feel great in those moments. I'm sure. I mean, I look back on it and I'm like, yeah, it was fine. It was all good, but Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure um, it didn't always feel great, but I think it comes down to really kind of um, listening to our children in those experiences, understanding what they're feeling and how that's playing out for them and kind of, you know, being transparent about the fact that there are really no easy answers, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's something that, um, you know, is a hard reality. And then on top of that, to help the the child who's struggling perhaps to just really appreciate their own unique context and try to help them see the possibilities for them on the other side of these challenges like for example you know they most likely will move on you know in a, in a direction they will develop the 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 skills the social skills the whatever other skills they need to move forward in their lives in time you know mm-hmm. and it's a process so kind of helping them to appreciate their own unique context see their strengths And also recognize possibility down the line on the other side of challenge, but really just hearing their experience and and acknowledging
1: that, yeah, this isn't easy. This is hard. Yeah. Instead of just saying, it'll be okay, you know, but really putting yourself in, in their position and understanding or not feeling like I tell parents all the time, sometimes you don't have to fix it right away. Right. right. Well, right. That's the
0: thing. It's sort of the understanding on a human level that's really really important, but not trying to minimize what the child is feeling, not trying to, you know, slap a band-aid on it and be like, "Ah, it's fine, it's fine." You know, when it, when really it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also don't want the child to wallow or or be bogged down by the the challenges in it. So it's it's a deli- it's a delicate balance.
1: Absolutely because then you can go too far the other way as well, don't you think? Because sometimes what happens is they they just go too far to try to, you know, make it better. And you're right. And finding that middle can be difficult. And I would say to parents again of any child it's, it's a challenge, but something to do work towards. And I think just learning to be a good listener is a good start, like you said.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, it's that really that authentic listening that we can do as parents that is so powerful, really, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, kind of really just slowing down and trying to understand the experience, even when in those circumstances where there's no, Way to fix what's
1: happening, right? And sometimes, depending on the age, and really could be adolescence as well. I want to make note to parents that it's not common that a child would come out and say to you, "I'm struggling with this." Right. It, it might they might be showing other behaviors, yes, and which could be things like. They're going in their room more often. They don't want to engage in conversation or just the opposite. They're just very irritable and get upset over small things. Anything to add to that? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Those those are really great points. And yeah, you know, developmentally and dispositionally, you know, that's going to determine whether a child's going to engage in conversation and actually put out there on the table, like, wow, this thing is really hard and I'm struggling with X, Y, or Z. So as parents, for us to be really astute observers of, you know, what's happening with our kids, what is their behavior looking like? Are they reacting differently in situations where, you know, they used to be pretty calm and chill and be able to move through and beyond, but now they're having meltdowns or anger outbursts or what have you, and just really trying to be astute observers, because you know, oftentimes Parents might get busy, might sort of not Mm -hmm. be focused on those subtle changes that can be early signs that something is amiss and we need to kind of look at it from a different angle or, you know, dig more, more, more in depth if the child's not putting it on the table for
1: us. Yes. And even like, that's where I like the, the, to name the emotion, like, Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to say, you know, you seem kind of sad when you say that, or, but then also be open and patient because, you know, it's not likely they're going to turn around and be like, you know, tell you all about it. But I will say when they do, and a lot of times they, they come to that point because they know you're going to listen, uh, just be ready. Right. (laughs) I remember when my kids would come to me and, and I could tell they were start. I would like stop what I was doing because I'm like, wow, they're talking. I'm, I'm going to listen because in many cases, they're just, unless it was life or death, I was going to, I was going to take that moment because especially with teenagers, it's sometimes you don't get that time and very often.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. It can be hit or miss, right. With, with what's put out on the table or the willingness or depth at which they're Engaging in conversations, so absolutely totally agree with that
1: now what do you how do you help parents let's say let's say there's a child, whether vulnerable or not, who does have some ability to to do things but doesn't have the confidence. What are mm-hmm. some strategies that you give parents to help their children? And even or help the kids themselves to to try some of those things that they might you know to move forward and find the things they can do um for fear of I mean they could have all kinds of fears, but they don't want to fail or they don't want it to be just another thing that they weren't successful at, et cetera,
0: yeah, yeah, it's such an important question and such an important thing for us as parents to do to help kind of foster this ability to take that step forward when there's fear or reticence or you know this fear of failure is very real mm-hmm. but i believe that failure is one of the most important experiences our kids can have because it's the thing that allows them to see that sure get knocked down something didn't work out the first time but hey i got up and i moved through and beyond the challenge and that's sort of at the at the core of resilience right yeah and so you know either by modeling or by talking through showing our kids that it's okay to fail it's okay when that things I mean it's really likely that things aren't going to work out the first time out of the gate Mm -hmm. and sort of being transparent in that with our parent with our kids is really really important as parents right Um, yes and kind of you know, encouraging, but not pushing
1: mm-hmm. our kids
0: to try different things, you know, because there too, it's a process, right? To find something that clicks with a certain kid, Um, you know, whether it be in sports or an activity or the arts or what have you, you know, it's not often the first thing they try that's going to feel like, oh, wow, I love this. You know, it's often a process. So to encourage small steps forward is important while also letting them know that it's probably expected that they're going to fail and that they're going to have to try again. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um And then helping kids to see the things that are going well. Yes. As opposed to just picking out the things that didn't go well is a really important step because, you know, as hum- human nature leads us down the oh man, that didn't go well. I should have done that better. Oh, I'm terrible. You know, the negative self-talk loops. Absolutely. And we want to help our kids to see the other side of that to at least neutralize the lens, if not move it more in a positive direction. But it's it's a process and there's no one size fits all. But those are some sort of strategies that I would suggest and some strategies that I I use myself.
1: I think those are great strategies. I think just showing up Is a win. So like you said, we have to look at the wins because it is, it's very easy to, to everyone does that. They go down that path of this. I should have done this better or yes, I showed up for Boy Scouts, for example, but I didn't talk to anybody. Hey, you know what? That's a win. You showed up. You got there. You got in the car. (laughs) You left the house, right? Yes. Yes. You know, um, because I, I see so much social anxiety in my practice because kids just don't even want to leave. And this this was happening before COVID, but of course with COVID it it didn't help because they right. were more isolated. But just getting there. And I love the strategy, your strategy of, you know, small steps, because then mm-hmm. that's small wins, which if I think I I did not create this, um, but I've heard in the past, you know, 1% change then yeah. leads if you, you know, do just one little thing every day. After a year, it's three hundred and sixty-five percent improvement, right? So, and that's mm-hmm. it. Doesn't even have to be every day, you know. So, um, it's you'd never tell your kid like, "Oh, I I think it would be great if you learned to play an instrument," and and telling them it's you're not going to be great right off the bat. It takes time and practice,
0: right? And that's that sort of progression. Is never linear, right? It's often circular, like one step forward, a couple steps back, and vice versa. And then, sort of, really being astute as a parent to your kid's aptitudes and their interests mm-hmm. at a foundational level, and really kind of trying to encourage them in the directions that match those things, you know. And and there's really no one size fits all, particularly. And it's it's tempting, I think, for parents to kind of go in the one size fits all direction with siblings, right? If there's a sibling that doesn't, but really important to try not to do that because our kids are all so different. And, you know, sometimes you might have siblings who love the same sport, but I, I see a lot of cases in
1: which that's not true. How did you manage that with your twins <laughs> very interesting,
0: <laughs> very interesting question, and you know it's 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 an ongoing process you know of course of and course. it's you know one of the boys kind of um had a bit of an easier time with some of the foundational sort of academic stuff, you know a little bit easier time in sports in general, and has sort of navigated his own way into uh a sport that he really really loves um his brother you know, he's still exploring and he's, mm-hmm. he's tried a couple different things in his freshman year. He's landed on um, rowing. He's, he's doing oh, wow. rowing right now. And he absolutely loves it. Um, and, you know, that's actually the sport that his brother has, has been doing for a couple of years now and absolutely loves it. So who knows, maybe there'll be some overlap there, but you know, it's, it's a question of just really um, letting each of them know that it's okay to explore within their own context And particularly the one where it's taken a little bit longer, you know, it's really just having discussions, having conversations. My husband drives um, one of them to school and I drive the one who's sort of been exploring a little bit more uh, each day. And it's a great time for conversation. It's a great time to encourage, reinforce that, yeah, it's okay to explore these things and help him to see and recognize, you know the positive changes that he's made, the things that are going well. And I think that's that's really important for us as parents to be able to do that. But really, it's helping to um, foster strengths within each individual context, you know, that's really mm-hmm. important.
1: And not worrying about their differences either. Right. Exactly. exactly. Because sometimes you can do that, you know, where you worry about one and then the other. And now that my kids are both adults, you know, it's it's a whole different dynamic at that point. And uh, it's fun, don't get me wrong. But it, it is now that they're talking about careers, and it's not school and really fostering that support, and realizing that, wow, you know, they're adults now, and they're making their own decisions, and we're here to support. But, you know, kind of refraining from that parental, like, It always telling them what to do or, or things like that and trying to be supportive. But I think it, uh, I think it starts with the way that you work with your kids at a younger, you know, at a younger age. Definitely. Absolutely. And I think you brought up resilience, which I think is so important, especially as a prevention for anxiety. I know that Mm. I'm always trying to think like now when I, I meet with younger families and so on. And I'm thinking, what can I do preventatively, which is why I loved going into pediatrics because I get to do that. Yeah, And I think you're right. It's, it's a lot, it's allowing giving parents permission to not be perfect themselves right. first and foremost, mm-hmm. but then realizing that their kids are going to fall in kind of um, you know, skin their knees a little bit, uh, Mm -hmm. but you'll be right there to like pick them up. Right.
0: Yeah. And and that's, yeah, yes. That's a very important point.
1: What does resilient mean to
0: you? Yeah. So, you know, at a at a very foundational level, it's um this ability to move through and beyond challenge. Um, but I think sort of beyond that, it's it's the ability to see possibility. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the ability to really um appreciate your own unique context and mm-hmm. see the strengths that you have and to build upon those and to use those to you know help foster your forward motion but really you know at the foundational level it's moving through and beyond challenge it's not being um uh shut down by challenge mhm being stuck like you said exactly exactly
1: yeah i i agree because i think at any age, even adults, you know, we've all experienced that. I'm sure at some point in our life where we just feel stuck and, uh, it it's, it's tough, you know, to get out of that little hole that we may have dug for ourselves. The great part is you have that you can choose to do that. You know, you have a choice in most cases to be able to, uh, find what, uh, what, how you can get unstuck and, um, And I love that you're working with families to help them do that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And it's that, it's that, it's that piece about getting unstuck and about, you know, feeling confident, feeling courageous in taking those steps forward, whatever the challenge might be. That's so,
1: so important. Looking back to when, from four years and on, what do you think were some of the biggest lessons that, that you learned? In well, in having that having hydrocephalus and and so on,
0: yeah. And I I think w- the biggest thing for me, um, you know, I don't know if I would have uh, framed it that way back then, but but as I've you know gotten to the point where I am now, is this ability to understand and respect individual difference. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know I felt different in many ways, and you know that was a, a big challenge. Um, but I think through my experience in that, I really came to, you know, develop a lot of empathy, um, particularly for those who were, who were struggling, um, and really was able to, um, understand what it means to be different. And that kind of was a a huge lesson, um, at that, at that point, um, recognizing, um, and focusing, on what I could do, as opposed mm-hmm. to what I couldn't do was huge. Um, I also learned that, and I, I'm I'm, a firm believer in this, you know, that, you know, it's okay not to win, you know, um, you know, within your own context, you know, finishing last can mean finishing first, if that's what it, if that's what fits within your context. I mean, an example of that would be, um, I got really into long distance bike riding in college and I loved 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 being out on my bike and it was really a great release for me and all these things. Um and so this summer I graduated from college, uh I had an opportunity to join this group Cyclists Ending Hunger and nice. I rode rode my bike from Seattle to Denver wow. um, with the group and we were promoting the importance of um proper nutrition and healthcare for kids along the way and we were doing stuff like that but it was, it was a grueling ride, you know, and I thought sure. I was in shape, but, you know, I finished last every single day, but I was so grateful to be there and to be riding, mm-hmm. you know, five years earlier, it w- w- wasn't, that was not where I was. And, you know, it was um yeah. So that was a, a thing. And also along those lines on the tennis court, when I was a kid, rarely did I win the finals, you know, but came in second a lot and that was okay. I was playing, you know, and that meant everything to me. So I think that's a huge lesson that I learned. And, you know, a lot of folks out there will disagree with me on that front. You know, you got to win, you got to be, you know, but I, I, I honestly believe that as long as we're doing our best within our own unique context, that's a
1: win. I, couldn't agree more i i'm thinking about your example with the cycling and to me the fact that you got up every day the next day and did it again that's a huge win you know and being able and then having that support and just feeling great at the end of the day too that you finished mm-hmm. you you managed to you know keep going and i think that's probably one of th- that's a big win that you kept going
0: And I I was, I was stubborn too, because, um, you know, uh, certain days they were, they were long, grueling days, um, you know, through the, through the, uh, flatlands with major headwinds or what have you. So I was pretty far behind, you know, the sag wagon would come back and like, don't you want to get, nope, I don't, I need to finish this. You know what I mean?
1: And,
0: And I did, and I'm, I'm psyched to look back on it, you know, all these years later and be like, yeah, I rode every single mile on that, on that trip.
1: Absolutely. I just, this is not really apples to apples, but it's recent in my mind. And that is that I decided I was going to learn to play pickleball. Oh, nice. Awesome. (laughs) And I haven't picked up a racket in my entire life. Well, I mean, I used to play (laughs) tennis when I was a little girl, but it's been a long time since I was (laughs) a little girl. And so anyway, we were, we were play like my kids went to, and, um, There were some really nice people there who were helping us learn. They, you know, we told them and they're like, play with us. And we're like, we've never done this before. Well, I'm telling you the story because I played with, we as partners with helper, a I'll call her Mm -hmm. and we lost one to 11 (laughs) and then we switched (laughs) partners and I had helper B and this was with my daughter-in-law was on the other team with the other, and I was helper with helper B and we lost one to 11. And then we ended up playing with my two boys. And I thought, you know what? Lauren was my, my daughter-in-law was on the teams that won both times. So I'm going to have her on my team. That's going to (laughs) be the difference. Right. And we lost one to 11. So (laughs) I could have sat there and I'm not going to lie that I didn't think about it, that I was the common denominator in all of the losing teams, but <laughs> I was just proud of myself that I went out there and I tried, you know, yeah. and my kids were really supportive about that too. They were like, mom, you did it. You know, you learned to play a new sport and, uh, and, and it was a lot of fun. So I know that that's totally different, but it's so easy. Like you said, to think about what went wrong. And I joke about it, obviously I, it, 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 I'd be lying if it didn't cross my mind, like <laughs> every single team I was on, we lost, but we didn't get pickled, which I learned is when you don't score at all. Okay. And, all right. it, That's and I awesome. played and I learned a new sport. So I, I thought those were wins. So I think it's a little easier as we get older to find that. But teaching our kids to learn that early on is is so important.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, we can do a lot as parents by modeling that yes and you know I I think sharing with our kids what some of our challenges are is a very positive thing because it allows them to see us as human
1: and it allows
0: them to see us you know how far we've come from those challenges you know in those moments
1: yeah there's nothing wrong with sharing experiencing modeling is so important too (laughs) So it can be challenging. Sometimes it's easier than others, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think those are some wonderful strategies that you've given. And I'm so honored to have you join me. I read in your bio that, uh, you're best-selling author. Tell us about your book. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I, I wrote this book called bounce,
0: help your child build resilience and thrive in school, sports and life. And, um, it really outlines, um, the seven pillars of the resilient child. The cool thing is all those pillars apply to all of us across the lifespan. It just so happens that the anecdotal stories and this particular version of the book is focused on, on the, um, elementary school child, but you know, the pillars are, you know, this ability to tolerate frustration and manage emotion, the idea of navigating friendship and social pressure. That's sort of really the idea of understanding and appreciating, um, individual difference. So important in their, uh, focus, attention, courage, confidence, optimism. Those are sort of the main, um, pillars outlined in the book. And we do that through a very human lens of anecdotal stories. I would love to be able
1: to, uh, you know, uh, refer that or promote that for my patients. How can they find that book? Sure. Absolutely. Um,
0: so it's on Amazon. Um, okay. you know, I can send you a link afterwards, but it's, it's on Amazon and, uh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, um, it's, I think a really, um, well, I'm biased obviously, but, <laughs> um,
1: foundational book and helping folks to move through and beyond challenge. I mean, it, it basically included many of the topics we discussed in this, Podcast, and you and I could talk about the topic and those seven pillars for hours. It it yes. takes time and patience and and learning. So I would love to be able to share that with everybody. And uh, congratulations on on the book. And it really the information that you're including is absolutely what I believe every parent should read. And I'm I think I'm going to read it too for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, before we say goodbye, I always like to give my guests kind of the last word. Is there anything that in your heart are you feeling that I really want to say this, whether it's something you've mentioned already or something new you feel people should know?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, that's always that's a great question. And, you know, I guess the the thing that pops into my mind sort of most readily is this idea as parents, sort of the the most important thing we can do is to believe in the possibility that
1: exists for our children um, despite the challenges. Thank you. Thank you so much again for taking the time. I have already asked Dr. Lund to come back and speak to me, uh, speak with me about bullying, which is everyone knows is a very a topic that I feel very passionate for. So I again, want to thank you and I will include information on how to get a hold of Dr. Lund as well. And I just want to thank everybody for listening. Please subscribe and follow me wherever you like to listen to your shows, like Apple podcast and Spotify and let's grow up together.